0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com/slash/slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, January 3rd, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the top 10 films of 2018, according to the Slash Film writing staff. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writers why Tran Bowie.
2: Hey, everyone.
1: And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, before we get to our uh, the top ten lists uh from you guys, I wanted to first start off with um what did you guys think of this year of movies? Do you think this was exceptional uh you know good but not you know great or lower than usually what we get let 's start with chris
3: you know i've heard several people tell me they thought this was a bad year for movies and i'm i'm generally surprised at that reaction because i think this was a very good year i mean this this year had some uh incredibly diverse movies and when i say diverse i don't mean you know i i mean like in a sense that they're you're not they're, saying they're movies
1: ver- with diversity you're saying yeah i'm saying
3: they're so different i mean you, you know they're actually you know there were movies with diversity but i'm saying there's such a <laughs> an eclectic amount of films this year like that i don't know i'm i'm you know like i said i've heard several people say Oh, this is a weak year. And I really don't agree at all. I think this is a very strong year.
0: Ben,
1: do you have any thoughts?
0: I strongly agree that this is a strong year. I loved <laughs> this year in movies. There are so many that and, and there are several movies that I haven't even seen yet that I'm really looking forward to to check out. But I'm I'm happy with my top ten as it stands right now.
1: H C is this a strong year?
2: I'm in the same boat as both Ben and Chris. Um, I don't really like to describe by the whole, is this a good year in movies, is this a bad year in movies uh, sort of discussions, because I think that everyone has their own kind of movies that appeal to them specifically. And because this year has been so diverse in the kind of genres and the um, the type of stories that they tell, that this is a, a year that really can be great for anyone.
1: Hmm. See, I don't want to take any of your time because I'm going to have my time to talk on the editor's top 10, but I feel like I need to make this podcast interesting by providing an alternate take on this, right? Like I need to yeah, I I feel like I need to give you a sample of what I'm going to say on my top 10 is that um I do feel like this movie this year had a lot of good very good movies, but uh you know, I just went on Letterboxd over the last week and I rated uh, the last 10 years of movies, like my top 15 of the last 10 year of movies, uh, because I'm d- d- working on a project uh, that's coming up and um, not because I'm insane. And, <laughs> and uh, I noticed on a lot of years I had many films that were five star movies and by for me to give a movie five stars. It means it's like a near perfect movie that like i'm gonna be rewatching over and over again, and I feel like this year only had one, and I'm not gonna spoil which one that is, even though everybody probably listening at this point knows what movie it is but uh I feel like this movie this year had a lot of four star movies but not a lot of five star movies and there are years that there's like five five star movies in a year it's like an ins- like insane years in the last ten years that like so, uh, I mean, does anybody feel that, that, like, you know, there's – very good, but, like, nothing – like, are there movies this year that are, are going to be of your favorite of all time? Like, if we give you, like, like your top 50? will they stand 50? the test of
2: time or something? Yeah. Uh,
3: I, I'd say yes. There are several films this year that I know years from now I'll, I'll still be thinking about them. I'll still want to revisit them. So I would say yes. Okay. Okay. Like, it- gaudy
1: yeah don't spoil the list coming up uh for this year's top 10 since we're doing it all together all three of you guys we're going to be doing in a format that I, i i love this podcast called the dice tower it's a board game podcast we're kind of stealing their format so let's start off with uh number 10 chris what is your number 10
3: uh, my number 10 is the same as Ben's number eight, which means I can't say what the title is based on these wacky rules we're doing. So you'll have to
1: wait. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to wait. The, the, the tension is building. H.C., what's your number 10?
2: Uh, my number 10 is minding the gap it's a documentary by bing lu and it tells a story of three skateboarders including bing lu in um, this rust belt town in, in illinois and um, bing lu kind of goes back to his hometown and uh, combines footage that he shot in modern day with footage he shot 12 years ago to tell this really delicate tale of um, kind of coming of age and adolescence uh, in this forgotten Midwestern town as well as the cycles of abuse and like economic angst that overshadow these young men's lives, including Lou himself. And uh, it's a really uh, wonderfully made um, slice-of-life film that, becomes this kind of meditation on modern day masculinity.
0: My number 10 is A Quiet Place, John Krasinski's horror movie that came out early in 2018, but that's a film that stuck with me throughout the whole year. It has a really high concept premise. uh, And I think he did a terrific job with this movie. I think he, as the co-writer, director, and star... I mean, he was a triple threat in this one. I thought his performance was really solid. Uh, Emily Blunt, who is his real life wife, plays his wife in the movie. And she's incredible, as always. And even Millicent Simmons and Noah Jupe, the kid actors in the movie, were really good. And I normally cannot stand child actors. That's, I think, one of my biggest flaws as a movie watcher. So, um, yeah, all of this came together in a really, really great way for me. I enjoyed this movie and especially the way that it played with sound and sort of weaponized one of the film medium's major elements and i thought that was done uh, exceptionally well
1: yeah and both with ht's pick minding the gap and ben's pick of a quiet place there's no crossover later on the list but when we come to our number nine there's a lot of crossover so chris what's your number nine
3: uh my number nine is ben's number six and when you hear what it is your head will literally fall off your body
1: ht <laughs> <laughs> what is your number nine
2: My number nine is Ben's number eight. See if you can spot it.
1: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) These are almost as good as uh, Jacob's jokes from the book. Uh, Ben, what is your number nine? Uh, My number nine is Chris's number one.
0: So I'm just going to pour some Pepto-Bismol into my drink over here and uh, we'll wait until we get around to
1: that one. Okay. uh, Let's get to number eight. HT, what is your number eight?
2: My number eight is Burning. So Burning is a film by Lee Chang-dong, and it's a psychological drama that um, adapts Haruki Murakami's short story, Barn Burning, um, and adapts it to a South Korean film about a young working-class man who becomes obsessed with this former childhood neighbor of his who he doesn't remember at first. Um, But after she leaves for Africa and returns in the arms of a Suave, rich stranger, played by a chilling Stephen Yun. He his obsession with both of them grows until he's left in like this paranoid descent into madness. Uh, especially after uh, Stephen Yun's character Ben reveals that he burns down greenhouses in his spare time. This is a haunting and really unnerving portrait of obsession, class hostility. It reminds me a lot of um, Vertigo. I, I would even go as far to call it Vertigo for the modern age because it has that same sort of uh, interplay of um, sex and uh, paranoia and everything. And uh, I quite like how it adapts this Haruki Murakami story to the big screen, which I feel like he is a very difficult author to bring to that kind of um, medium because he has this, he's more of like a mood writer in a way, and he has this surreal magical realism that runs through all the stories, and that is something that definitely comes into play in Burning, which is a movie that kind of chips away at your sense of reality until you're really unsure of what is true and what is false.
1: I'm just curious, has anybody else
3: here seen Burning? Uh I have I saw it at tiff what did you think it's great it's uh, everything h t said is is pretty much uh on the nose it's it's fantastic. it's very long, and I've heard some people say they think it's too slow, but I honestly didn't feel that way at all i I was completely wrapped up in it,
1: yeah, I feel like this is a film that's on a lot of the top ten lists, but it's it's a film that i I would assume ninety percent of our listeners have not seen and it's it's one that I was hoping to get to before. You know, I made my top 10 list. I still have a chance. There's still a chance. Uh, Chris, what is your number eight?
3: Uh, My number eight is the same as HT's number three, because she has very good taste. You could say she's my favorite with a U. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Thanks,
2: Chris. (laughs)
1: Ben, what is your number eight?
0: <laughs> My number eight is Blind Spotting, which uh, I love this movie. I saw it at Sundance last year. It's directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada and it stars David Diggs and Rafael Casal as two guys in Oakland who are um, dealing with gentrification in the city. And David Diggs plays a guy who is. Uh, almost done with his probation. He only has a a couple more days left, but Casal, his best friend is sort of this, uh, whirlwind temper. I, I mean, he's, he's a guy who he's like the prototypical example of a guy who, um, always messes situations up and he's a, he's that best friend that you just can't shake, but always gets you into trouble. And, um, the movie tackles some pretty serious topics. There's like uh, racial injustice and and some trauma stuff going on in the in the film that makes it really serious, but it's also really 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 funny. Like one of the funniest movies I saw in 2018, and I love that balance in particular. Um, I think the performances are are both uh, from the leads are are both terrific, and uh, this yeah I think more than any other movie I saw in 2018, this is the movie that sort of struck me as like the movie of the moment. So um, yeah, I love this one, spotting
1: you know with three people on this podcast doing their top 10s you'd think that there'd be a lot of crossover and there is some crossover but there there's only one film that has that was on all three lists and it's this one so ichi this was your number 9
2: yeah i really enjoyed blind spotting for all the reasons that ben said and i think for some people Um, it doesn't work for them because it is both incredibly grounded and incredibly stylized. A lot of the dialogue is wrapped, for example. And at the end, there's this big uh, climactic moment that ends with a rap soliloquy from uh, David Diggs' character. And I know for that a lot of people, it takes them out of the movie, but I think it's just so powerful and so potent in a way that um, works so well within that film. So this is a movie that, yeah, really struck me and, and stayed with me for a long time after I saw it as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's great. I'm glad that we both, all, we all included it, even though I feel like it also is one of the underseen movies of 2018.
1: And Chris, this is your number ten.
3: Uh yeah, I I don't have much more to add than what everyone said here, but uh this this movie completely caught me off guard. Like I don't know what I was expecting. I just watched it because I had heard people say it was good and it it pretty much like just blew me away just because it's so uh, there's so much like energy in this movie that I was not expecting. And it's it's very good. And um, I'm a little disappointed that more people aren't talking about it. I, I just feel like it got lost in the shuffle somehow. Yeah, I, I have uh, like two
1: or three films I got to see this weekend before I do my top ten list next week, and this is one of them. Uh, and uh, hearing it from all of you guys, I I've, I feel like there's no way it's not going to make my list, but we'll see. Uh, let's move on to number seven. Let's start with Chris. What is your number seven?
3: I finally get to actually talk about a movie. Um, <laughs> my number seven is Destroyer uh, with Nicole Kidman. This is a film I've heard a lot of people not only say they disliked, but they thought it was like a bad movie which i am shocked to hear uh, uh it's from Car- uh, karen kusama who directed um the invitation and jennifer's body and nicole kidman is this uh, hard drinking washed up cop she's basically playing almost like the stereotypical has been cop that's all always been played by you know male actors in film it's like this is the first time you see, uh, you know, a, a female actor playing this sort of part, and that makes it unique. But the film itself is very, uh, the way it's 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 laid out is is really interesting to me because it's really two films in one. One is this present day story where Nicole Kidman is you know washed up and she's trying to solve this murder, and the other is this uh, past story where Nicole Kidman is is younger. And she and uh, Sebastian Stan, who's playing an FBI agent, have infiltrated this this gang of bank robbers. And they're trying to, you know, uh, get the goods on them. So and eventually the way the two stories collide is so cool and so clever. And I don't know, this is this is definitely up there for me. I, I recently rewatched it, uh, a screener of it, and it was just as good as I remembered seeing it at TIFF. So, uh, again, I know there are a lot of people who don't like this and I'm. I'm very surprised because I loved it.
2: My number seven is Ben's number two. And it's a movie that when you hear it, it will stick with you. That's a uh, bad one.
0: <laughs> uh. My number seven is Sorry to Bother You, which is another movie that I saw at Sundance. It's it's another movie that takes place in Oakland, and it is terrific. I mean, this might be, for me, I think the most exciting movie of 2018, just because it is so unexpected what happens in this film. Um, Lakeith Stanfield plays a telemarketer who discovers that he has the power to use a white voice and completely transform the way that he sounds, and it's like... I know H.T. is a big fan of magical realism. I feel like this movie has a lot of that. And it is, uh, I mean, it has terrific actors. I mean, Tessa Thompson is in this. Uh, Terry Crews is in this. Patton Oswalt is doing a voice. I mean, the list goes on. The, the cast in this movie is insane. And it's Bruce Riley's uh, directorial debut. He's a musician, activist, filmmaker who just really came out of the gate firing on all cylinders with this movie it's a little shaggy at times but i feel like it has so much to say um, just about uh society and culture and um appropriation and all sorts of huge ideas that the passion um sort of outweighs any uh i guess structural flaws or any of that shagginess that other people might have seen in this movie I, i really like this one a lot
1: I don't think I've ever heard the word shaggy to be used to describe a film, but I completely agree. And uh I and why, HD? Why why do you not love the magical realism of sorry to bother you?
2: I, I didn't say that.
0: <laughs> no, I just said <laughs> I said she likes magical realism in I general. Know, and I this know, movie I, has a lot of that. I
2: know, I know. I do I did like the magical realism of sorry to bother you a lot. Um I enjoyed the film, but I feel like It was just a little too weird for me to (laughs) put on, like, my top list, even though I I usually enjoy those kind of just gonzo films. For me, there's just something that didn't completely cohere, um, though I did like watching it through, like, the process of watching it, just because it's so, yeah, gonzo, like I said.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Sorry to Bother You only appears on Ben's list, and Destroyer only appears on Chris's list. Let's move on to number six. Let's start with Chris. What is your number six?
3: Uh, My number six is Mandy, which uh, is the Nicolas Cage movie that a lot of people were talking about this year. Um, This movie is almost uh, impossible to really describe because on the surface, it has this very simple revenge storyline where Nicolas Cage is wronged in some way and he goes after this crazy cult that wronged him. But what makes the movie so special is just how uh, unique it looks. Like this movie looks unlike any other film you're gonna see this year it's like this like crazy acid trip it's like if you've ever seen like the side of a a, a a van that has like a dragon painted on it. That's driven by like some loser nerd. And it's like that. It's like that, but it's come to life and it's also on fire and also it's covered with blood. So that's what this movie looks like. It's like the side of a van come to life. Uh, if that makes any sense. And it just, uh, it, it, it stunned me watching it. Like I, I don't even, I, I, I have, you know, I feel like I don't have the words to adequately uh, describe how incredible this movie just is and feels it has this really dark uh, occultish vibe that uh very few films are able to to nail down so uh yeah i I loved it now uh this film was only on your
1: list it wasn't on ht or ben's have either of you seen this
2: i have i will say it's on my top 25 so it's not on my top 10 but it is there just because it is just So strange and surreal and twisty that you can't help but love it because it just goes it's gunning for it. It goes for the walls or whatever the term is.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, this is the first movie that I've ever been quoted on the Blu-ray box for. And I think that it speaks to the quality of the movies of 2018 that I'm quoted on the Blu-ray for this movie and it's not even in my top 10. So I, it just shows that I loved all these other movies a little bit more than that. But yeah, Mandy is a tremendous film. And I think <laughs> Chris's description about the side of a van comes to life is just about as accurate as you can get there. I think the big reason I didn't put it on my list was because I felt like the first half was just so uh, deliberately paced (laughs) and I don't know it took a long time for that movie to really get going for me but once it did it turns into this really really um, like jaw dropping experience that's really unlike anything else you'll ever see
1: I just don't understand why it has to be a nerd driving the van, Chris.
3: <laughs> I I say nerd in a loving way. It's a it's a, I, I, it's a compliment. You're a, a you're total a loser. <laughs> a total loser nerd is a, is a compliment in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: let's move on to HT. What is your number six?
2: My number six is Eighth Grade. Uh, This is the film that uh, is directed by Bo Burnham in his directorial debut, and it's just this wonderful portrait of adolescent angst, and it's basically a horror movie. Um, It's one of the hardest movies I've watched this year because it's just so horrifyingly real and authentic. Um, It's a movie that chronicles the trials of um, 13 year old Kayla played by Elsie Fisher, who is an awkward eighth grader uh, going through the final week of eighth grade. And she's struggling with anxiety and the pressures of social media. Um, And it's, Really profound uh, coming of age film that I feel like hasn't been talked about enough this year either. It's it reminds me a lot of the um, the authenticity that Lady Bird, for example, brought last year, and yet no one really is talking about it in the same vein, uh, despite it feeling even more uh, raw and vulnerable to me. I feel, uh, and that's uh, largely in part because of Elsie Fisher's just uh, stunning performance. Uh, she's still vulnerable and uh and great in this role and um i think it's a really uh, profound uh universal coming of age story
1: yeah i feel like people need to see this film i'm surprised that no one else on this podcast had this film in their top 10 uh and
2: chris hasn't seen it i know because he doesn't want to relive that experience <laughs> yeah I,
1: I
0: have avoided seeing it i saw it and liked it i just didn't like it enough for it to jump
1: that high up the anxiety I felt sitting in that seat watching that movie. And you say it's basically a horror movie. It isn't a horror movie, but, like, it's – I guess it is. It's horrific in ways. Mm-hmm. It's uh, – yeah, you, it it really has you squirming in your seat. And uh, I don't know. I, I feel like we're probably selling it too harshly in, in those terms. It is a coming-of-age, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, film. So uh, let's move on to number six for Ben.
0: Uh, My number six is an actual horror film, Hereditary. Uh, This movie is deeply unsettling and really uh, crisply crafted and super scary. I am not a huge horror movie guy, but I love this movie. Toni Collette delivers like a career best, unbelievably good performance. I am shocked that people are, are not talking about her in the same way that they're talking about Olivia Colman and some of the other actors or actresses. Uh, in terms of like end of the year awards consideration, because I honestly feel like she gave maybe the performance of the year in 2018. She was incredible as this mother who her family begins to fall apart after the death of her own mother. And uh, things get supernatural and weird from there. And um, there are really, really incredible unforgettable moments in this movie and just the tension and the way that uh, Ari Aster, the uh, first time director, was able to, uh, craft and really just sort of like turn that, uh, turn that wrench, you know, and crank it as the movie went on to a climax that is, it reminded me a little bit of Kill List, which is a 2011 movie that that probably not a lot of listeners have seen, but it's another movie that really, um, I guess brought out that same sense of dread that Hereditary did for me. So I would recommend both of those, but yes, Hereditary is my number six.
1: And Chris had this on his list at number nine. Chris, you also liked Hereditary.
3: Yeah, I loved it. Um, uh, I agree with pretty much everything Ben said. And I also want to second the fact that I can't believe Tony Collette isn't like the front runner for a best actress nomination. Like, I don't know if A24 just isn't campaigning her for some reason or what, or but, you know, because it's a horror movie, the Academy doesn't care. I, I really don't know, but she really should be at like the top of the list because her performance in this is, is incredible. Yeah. I, th- I think it's probably for both of
1: the reasons you listed there. Let's move on to our number five. Chris, what is your number five?
3: Uh, my number five is Ben's number one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> something about a bear. All right. <laughs>
1: ben, what is your number five?
0: my number five is mission impossible fallout which in my mind is the ideal version of blockbuster summer tentpole entertainment it is just a tremendous action movie um, a ton of fun and sort of a miracle of a movie it's the sixth installment in a franchise that somehow is just as good if not better than a lot of the entries that came before it which is like really really rare in franchise filmmaking And uh, Chris McQuarrie, man, that guy is just a straight up genius. Like if you listen to how this movie was put together and how he created this film, it seems to go against every good idea that you've ever heard that filmmakers, you know, like like every approach that he took seems like the wrong way to do it. But somehow he managed to not only make this movie, which is just like a miracle in and of itself, but make it a terrific, super fun, uh, you know, tentpole or uh uh, set piece filled uh, like a jaw dropper of an action movie and I, I just I loved every minute of it
1: and this is only on your list at number five I'm kind of shocked like I feel like this film should be on every top ten list this year it, I, I Chris you were quoted in all the advertising for this movie and it didn't make uh, your top ten why is that
3: I, I mean I loved it it's, it's in like my top like 30 of the year but I think it's it's pretty much the same reason ben said for mandy where you know i had so many films i loved this year that it just couldn't quite quite you know crack that top 10 but i you know it's it is one of my favorite movies of the year i and it's incredibly entertaining so uh yeah i love it it just it just couldn't quite get in there because i i think i like all these other movies more did you say it didn't make your top 30 or wasn't your
1: top 30 it was in my top 30 okay (laughs)
2: it's also in my top 20. So don't worry, we still love this movie, Peter.
1: Yeah, I just feel like a lot of people, critics when they're making these top 10 lists and I think it's less of a problem with the slash film uh lists here. So I'm not criticizing you guys. But it, and it's also a problem obviously with the academy and stuff is they tend to reward films that are, you know, of more substance than, you know, blockbusters even when There's the are blockbusters... genre genre snobbery going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> And obviously, looking at your, your guys' list, this is not happening here. But uh, HT, what is your number five? Uh,
2: my number five is Chris's number two, um, Don't Roam Far. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, okay. Uh, number four, uh, Ben, what is your number
0: four? My number four is Searching, which is a movie that I think I may have talked about more than anyone outside of the actual filmmaking team behind well, that movie. Yeah, I, I don't
2: know if I've ever heard you talk about it, Ben. <laughs>
0: I think that might um, actually be a fact. At this it point. might be. I don't know. I, I guess, I'm guess i guessing if you've listened to this podcast, if you've listened this far, you know that I love this movie. This uh, film stars John Cho. It is. It takes place entirely across computer screens. Uh, at this point, I can just say blah, 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 and you can fill in the reasons that I love it because everybody listening knows why. Yeah, um, but g- you... g-
1: give us the pitch because there's probably – I would guarantee just like um... – what movie I said earlier, but I said like some oh uh Burning. I'm betting, you know, ninety five percent of our audience have has not even watched searching. Like why should they watch it?
0: Okay, so I have not seen uh, the Unfriended movies, which I know also take place on computer screens. But from what I understand, searching is different and better in that the camera actually moves around. It's not just a locked off screen where you're looking at a Skype window for the whole movie. And I feel like that might be something that that could potentially turn people off if they think that that's what this movie is. This film is way more innovative than that. It has a lot going on. Uh, The intro of this movie, I think it contains one of the, the best movie moments of this year, which is the uh, sort of, uh, it, it's it reminds me a lot of Pixar's Up. There is a, a very self-contained, um, I don't know, like a prologue to the movie almost, that uh, is super emotional and it contains like very little uh, actual dialogue. It all takes place, again, across computer screens. And it's, um, yeah, it, it's memorable, you know, as a piece unto itself. But as for the movie at large, John Cho is a leading man, and he proved it in this movie. He is is really great as this father who is uh, on a, a desperate search to find his missing teenage daughter, and he looks through all of her tech to try to f- track her down and figure out where she is and whether she's been caught up in this mystery and, and a scandal and all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, the script for this movie is really, really excellent. It's a detective story, but just told in a modern uh construct a modern way and i think uh yeah i think it's it's one of the best written movies of the year and one of the best executed movies of 2018 just because there were so many ways that this could have gone wrong but uh anish Chaganti, who's the the writer director um really made it look easy so i i love the film
1: did either of you see searching i'm assuming both of you saw this film right yes yeah. yeah i saw it why was it not in your top 10
3: uh, I really liked it. I think it has some problems. Like I think Deborah Messing's performance is really bad. And that I think kind of ruined, like she, uh, you know, John show, he, he nails it. He, he seems very believable. Deborah Messing always seems like she's like performing here. And it, and I mean, part of that actually works with her character, which I guess is sort of a spoiler. Sorry, but it, I, her performance is just too clunky for me to give it, you know, to have it be on my favorite of the year list, but I I did really like it.
2: Yeah, I think it was in my top twenty, but I agree also about Deborah Messing. I found her kind of wooden. It didn't attract too much from the movie for me, but it made it made it not a perfect movie.
1: Interesting, uh, Chris. What is your number four? My number four. <laughs> <sighs>
3: chris is, why, why are, are your
1: choices on your top 10 higher on someone else's list
3: i don't know i don't know my number four is ben's number three
1: uh, we, 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 we could meet him on beale street to talk about it later <laughs> yes good <laughs> what peter said uh ht what is your number four
2: my number four is Paddington 2. So Paddington 2 was a bomb for my soul in the hellscape that was 2018. Uh, I believe it's a near-perfect movie. It's just a beautifully visually stunning film that also has this sort of uh, funky um, Buster Keaton-esque t- type of uh, slapstick and physical comedy while having just like these great supporting characters who um, played by actors who are just giving it their all, especially Hugh Grant, who turns in, I think, one of the most exciting performances of his career as a washed up actor who frames um, the titular Paddington for theft. This is just a complete delight to watch. I haven't had as much fun in a theater um, in a long time as I I was watching Paddington 2. And um, it's just... I think the distillation of pure joy um for in a movie so i think um and it transcends whatever people think of or like whatever however people brush off family films it's zippy it's fun it's uh quirky in the best way and i completely love it it has gone down since um the halfway point it's what used to be my number two but it's still up there and it's still one of my favorite movies of the year yeah we did uh
1: halfway point uh, lists on the podcast and on the site, which uh, I'll link in the show notes that people can go back to if they if they want to catch some of the ones that fell off and see see how that went. I'm I'm very this is a movie that is strange to me because I feel like every critic loved this movie. It, it got the praise that like I feel like Pixar in its you know height got, and yet I don't feel like it's getting the love on the top ten list at the end of the year. Like, why do you think that is?
2: I don't know. It did come out really early in the year. And technically in Britain, in the UK, it was a 2017 release. So that might be why it kind of fell off just because it was so early and people have forgotten about it, which they shouldn't. Um, But I wonder if it is because it's a family film and people tend to uh, undervalue those compared to the big um, prestige pieces that come out later in the year.
1: Let's move on to our number three. Let's now meet Ben, who is live from Beale Street. <laughs> yes. Uh, my number three
0: is Roma. No, it's uh, it's If Beale Street Could Talk, obviously. Uh, this is Barry Jenkins' uh, new movie. This film is really, really tremendous. It is uh, Barry Jenkins is one of those guys that is able to... Um, depict sensuality on screen arguably better than any other American filmmaker. He is somebody who is not afraid to put his camera really up close to in front, you know, right there with his actors. And it it sort of engenders this um, extra level of empathy and, and connection to his characters that really, really works especially well in this film. Stephen James and Kiki Lane are the lead actors in this film. Uh, it's a period piece where the two of them are living in um, in New York and trying to basically just make it in the 1970s, and uh, something happens. I'm not going to give away what it is, I guess, for people who who haven't had a chance to see it yet, but uh, this film, is it's really, really tremendous. I think, personally, that it has the best score of the year. Nicholas Bertel's score is just... I mean, it is emotional and devastating and haunting and triumphant all at the same time. And, uh, man, I, I really love this movie. And, Chris, I know that it was it's very close on this list to your number. It was number three for me, number four for you. So you obviously have a very fond spot for it in your heart as well.
3: Yeah, yeah pretty much everything you said, I, I agree with. This movie is so uh, emotional and just the way, you know, those, you know, those glances where Barry Jenkins as the characters look directly into the camera. Um, that's something, you know, he, he's, he's picking up for, from Jonathan Demi. Jonathan Demi used to do that in all of his movies, but it, it's so um, startling when you see it, even if, you know, even if you've seen it in movies before, it just, it, it catches you completely off guard because it's so intimate and it's so unexpected. And uh, like you said, the, the, the soundtrack for this movie is, is just, Wonderful. It's just it, it makes me swoon. It's so lovely
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I also just want to give a quick shout out to Regina King and Brian Tyree Henry who both play Kind of small supporting roles in this uh, Brian Tyree Henry a little bit smaller than Regina King But both are just like those are knockout performances for actors who aren't leads in a movie
1: Okay, let's uh move on to uh, eight, or Chris's number three yes oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i i i'm not sure number... what i love more about this like your disdain for the how we're doing this or the i don't know
3: uh my number three is not really here because it's ht's number two <laughs> nice
1: <laughs> that was a good one thank okay. uh, you ht what is your number three
2: My number three is The Favourite. So this is the new film by Yorgos Lanthimos, and it's this pitch black and nasty and really catty uh, period drama that uh, chronicles the late years of Queen Anne's sort of anarchic reign uh, as she hosts suck races and builds palaces as war rages with France. So this uh, tells the story of her sort of uh, twisted love triangle with, with her close friend, Lady Sarah played by Rachel Weiss and a newly arrived servant, Abigail played by Emma Stone. Oh, I forgot to say that Queen Anne is played by Olivia Coleman, who is also excellent, but this is just a three tiered performance from all of them. Um, they uh, have this uh, great, uh, vicious and delirious uh, dance of schemes between all three of them as Abigail and Sarah vie for the queen's favor. And um, it's a, a period film that sort of straddles the line between historical melodrama and satire. And it feels like a historical period piece that is put through a fun house mirror in both the way that the visuals are distorted there's a lot of uh fisheye lens and the values are distorted as well no one here thinks or talks normally they all speak in some sort of um backhanded or passive aggressive way um especially uh rachel weiss's character lady sarah who basically bullies queen anne while um Kind of, uh, she kind of like negs her in a way. She, uh, bullies her, but then, um, makes love to her. There's a lot of powerful lesbian en- energy in this film. It's <laughs> so good and so catty, and I absolutely loved it. It's funny too. I forgot to say it's hilarious.
1: And Chris, this movie, the favorite, was your number eight of the year.
3: Yeah. Uh, it, it's, I, I've said this before, but I'm not usually a fan of, uh, Lanthimos's movies because, I just find them really really mean, like needlessly mean, like where to the point where the message just literally seems to be, you know, life is terrible and I already know that. I don't need a movie to tell me, but this movie even though it's mean too, the meanness is done in this different way. It's almost like a Coen Brothers movie in the sense that their movies are are frequently cruel too, but it, they somehow make the cruelness funny and this movie does that too. This movie uh, had me pretty much like in hysterics when I watched. I was just laughing from beginning to end. There's a, there's like a dance sequence in this movie that I, I almost like fell off my couch laughing at. It, it's so friggin' funny. Um, and let's move on to our number two movies of the year. Uh, my number two is Roma from Alfonso Cuaron. Um, I saw this at TIFF as well, and uh, when this movie started. I I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. So, um, you know, I was one of the people who got to see it on a big screen, which is a plus. And it looked gorgeous. You know, it, it shot almost the entire movie is shot in a wide shot, which is so unusual because you see so much of the frame and like every inch of the frame is being used in the film, which a lot of filmmakers don't do. Uh, in this day and age, they seem to rely more on medium shots and close-ups, And this, this, this whole film doesn't do that. So as I was watching and I was like, wow, this looks gorgeous, but it's kind of slow because the, the first like half hour, 45 minutes, not a lot really happens. It just sets up these characters. Uh, you know, it, it focuses on a maid and the family she works for and you know i kept thinking like uh oh like if this doesn't get better i'm going to be a little bored and then it very slowly starts to change into something else and then there's this this really shocking event that uh, because the whole movie up until this point is is sort of quiet and toned down it 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 feels extra shocking and at that point i was like oh my god this this movie is is uh, not what I was expecting. And it's pretty amazing. And from then on out, I was just hooked. And by the end of this movie, uh, I and everyone else in the theater was just like sobbing uncontrollably. Like all you could hear when the credits were rolling was just this, this wall to wall sound of like people just crying. And it, 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 it was an incredible uh, transcendent experience for me. So um, I, I love this. And, you know, I, I know some people say, like, you have to see this in the theater, but honestly, if you watch this on a TV, you'll be fine, too. Just just see this movie. It's on Netflix right now.
1: And you can watch it in 4K if you have a 4K TV. H.T., this is your number five.
2: <laughs> yeah, I agree with everything uh, Chris said. This is a beautiful, sprawling, and yet really intimate movie that does take a little bit of time to get started, but then towards the end, it just kind of hits you with this wave of emotion in a way that, like, you won't recover from. <laughs> so it's, it's a really beautiful film, and it's very, it feels very personal, too, because Alfonso Cuaron did base it off of um, his own childhood growing up in 1970s Mexico, and it has that kind of timeless feel to it.
1: Ben, why was Roma not on your list? Um, I don't know. I don't have a good defense
0: for why this movie didn't make it. I think maybe because I watched it at home, maybe if I would have watched it in the theater, it might have had uh like I thought pretty much like as as Chris and HT were talking I was like yes I agree with all of these points but (laughs) for some reason it wasn't on my list so I don't know I guess it just um it didn't connect with me as profoundly as it did for them and uh it's it's very good it's it's Yeah, I agree with everything. And I I certainly can't blame anybody for having this movie very high up on their list because it's a it's an incredible achievement, both on a technical level and on a personal level. As they both mentioned, it really just sort of hits you, um, especially in that home stretch. But, yeah, it just didn't make it for me.
1: Let's talk about your number two movie of the year.
0: My number two is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I think is the biggest film-related surprise of last year for me. I was really looking forward to seeing what this filmmaking team could do, but I could never have anticipated this movie being that good. I think it is the best Spider-Man movie ever made, and maybe, maybe even the best superhero movie ever made, uh, which is a a huge claim considering there have been, you know, six billion superhero movies over over the past 25 years. Um, But, I think you know. Obviously, it looks incredible, but the just the look of it. If there was nothing to back that up, it would just be sort of an empty style exercise. But I think the script is so good. It is hilarious. It's creative. It's inspiring. It is uh, joyous. It's it's really like it gives you everything, or gives me everything that I want in sort of a a piece of pop art entertainment um it has characters that i genuinely care about it has incredible action sequences it is about a lot of things like identity and and sort of th- specifically the types of myth-making stories that we tell and how those stories are no longer just about uh, white guys which is kind of incredible um, yeah I, I think this movie is uh is easily one of the best films of the year and
1: a huge huge surprise for me And Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was HT's number seven.
2: Yeah, I agree with Ben. It's just a a stunning feat of animation and also a really heartwarming story that gets to the core of what a Spider-Man movie and any superhero movie should be about, um, which is just um the characters and it never feels crowded either um which is something that was really astonishing to me it was always about miles morales's story and i love miles a lot i wanted to like i think peter was talking about this earlier i wanted to spend more time with him and see more of his his uh world so it was just a, a film that i want i want to keep revisiting and i have not yet gone back to it but it's something that i will see over and over again i'm sure you should check out the comic
1: books hd it's it's really great um not, not the i mean i think the movie is better like the movie plus the comics in a big way but it it's it's really fun spending more time with him uh and and the other characters in, in that world um ht what is your number 2 of the year
2: my number two is You Were Never Really Here. So this is Lynn Ramsey's um, Brutal Tone Poem, uh, which is this harrowing film about Walking uh, Phoenix's hired gun, Joe, who uh, makes a living from rescuing young girls from child prostitution rings until one day he has a case that Um, exposes this widespread corruption and results in him losing his latest rescue and basically like forced to go on the run. Um, and he becomes intent on rescuing the, the girl Nina that he had lost because of this, this big, uh, corruption. And it becomes sort of similar to other like revenge lone wolf stories, like taxi driver and the other sense. But there's really no sense of catharsis here because this is a movie that is tremendously lean and completely absent of the thrills that you expect from these kind of movies. Um, it doesn't offer you that catharsis that you usually would get in revenge films, and it kind of it it feels like a a breakdown really of that lone wolf mythos and a subversion of it in a brilliant way um and i i really i really love some and i especially love joaquin phoenix's performance in this he transforms into this hulking dense mass of a man who really can't function in modern day society like the only way he knows how to function is through violence and that's something that i found really intriguing and really compelling to watch
1: and your your number two film of the year was chris's number three chris why did you love you were never really here
3: Uh, you know, pretty much all the reasons HT said, it's just, um, it's not, it's, it's not what I was expecting it to be. I was expecting it to be this like violent, uh, taxi driver esque film, because that's kind of how it was marketed. And that's really not what it is. And just the, the editing of this film is so unique. And what I love most about this film is that it doesn't really tell you anything like the audience, the viewer, has to put the pieces together and i i appreciate that lynn ramsey trusts the audience enough to be smart enough to figure out what's going on without just flat out showing them and i know that might not appeal to other people but i i, I really love that that aspect of it
1: um ben you did not have this on your list is there a reason why uh nope
0: <laughs> <laughs> no i i enjoyed this movie and again i i agree with everything that they just said it just didn't connect with me yeah um in that in that same way
1: no i i also agree with what they said i i think uh you know since i probably won't be talking about this on my list uh i i i love the style i love the execution i i do love everything chris is saying about this movie i just feel like there it's uh shallow pool after that i don't feel like there's much depth but okay i know it's two of your Wrong, favorite Peter. movies of the year so so i'm not gonna rain on your parade uh let's move on to our number one films of the year and let's start with chris what is your number one film of 2018
3: uh my number one is first reformed the paul schrader film about um a crisis of faith uh, uh it's you know it as ethan hawk in it Playing a, a reverend, um, uh, Ethan Hawke, I think, gives uh, his, the best performance of his career in this movie. He's so good. Uh, I mean, the whole movie is in his head, you know, through narration and through his point of view. So we spend almost, there, I don't think there's a, a, like a single scene, except for maybe near the end, that he's not in. And it, it's remarkable how much he carries this film. And it's just, it's so. It's a very bleak and depressing film, but it just it, it swept me up in its story of this you know the this this reverend who tries to counsel this guy who's very upset about you know climate change and you know the way you know the that the world is pretty much going to hell, and by talking to this guy, it's almost like this guy's outlook on the world is like uh, a disease that Ethan Hawke catches. And he starts feeling the same way this guy did. And he starts having this sort of breakdown where uh, he's acknowledging that human beings have destroyed God's creation being, you know, the world. And uh, that's a terrible thought to have. And it, and it, the whole movie is just about him dealing with that crisis of faith and how he's going to react to it. And it culminates in this, this final scene that is so incredible. Um, it's probably my favorite scene of the year and I won't give it away because if you haven't seen it yet, the the less you know about the final scene, the more amazing it is when you see it.
0: This one was my number nine, and I love this movie, just like Chris. I mean, I think that conversation that Ethan Hawke's character has with the environmentalist about climate change and whether or not it's responsible to bring a child into the world was just so effective and affecting. I mean, that's like I feel like that's a conversation that a lot of people actually had. Last year, amid all of the chaos and, and insanity of what was going on in the world last year, um, man, this movie, I mean, it just it really sort of uh, crystallized all of those like the collective the nation's collective um, thoughts. I thought I thought it, it was sort of like just like blind spotting, I thought it was a really, really it, it was a strong contender for a movie of the moment because of the way that it sort of tapped into um, these like uh, dormant thoughts that were just below the surface
1: for a lot of people. Okay, let's move on to H.T.'s number one film of 2018. What is it? Uh,
2: my number one film is Shoplifters, directed by Koreeda Hirokazu. I'm sorry. Um, so this is a film that um, deservedly won the Palme d'Or at, Ca- at Cannes last year, and it follows this sort of pseudo-family unit who lives together in this crowded house owned by this aging, elderly woman who basically pays for them by, through her late husband's pension. And uh, there are a motley crew that kind of make a living off of this pension, as well as menial labor, and uh, subsidize the rest by shoplifting, which becomes this sort of fun ritual between the, the father figure, Asamu, and this young boy, um, Shota. And they, one day, on the way back from a particularly good shoplifting hall run into a young girl who was left outside in the cold on her parents patio and uh, concerned for her safety they take her home and basically like folds her into their strange family unit um is this really tender really beautifully deeply felt portrait of um of life and the many te- textures of life, and while it's it's an like it's about this family that lives on the margins in sort of abject poverty, it's delivered with this really poignant emotional weight that um, at first you don't quite notice, but then it gradually overwhelms you at the end, um, so much so that like you start crying multiple times, and um, it has also like Roma a a beach scene in which um, this m- moment of emotional catharsis is reached on the beach and you kind of just feel this overwhelming empathy and emotion and humanity seeping through the screen. And this is just the movie that touched me so, so much and um, Will was a movie, I, I saw it right before I turned in my top 10 list and it shot to the top of my list and um, is something that I, I absolutely adored and loved.
1: Ben and Chris, is this a
3: film that you have seen? I have not. I, I've been mean. This is one of my my blind spots of the year. I, I want to see it. I just have not had the, the opportunity. Same.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is a film that is hitting a lot of critics' top tens. That I think the vast majority of this world, including critics, <laughs> have not seen. Uh, I think this and Burning. I, I think there's um, some some you know, crossover there that just uh, American audiences just haven't had a chance to see it. Uh, Ben, let's move on to your top 10 or top one movie of 2018. What is it?
0: My number one is Annihilation, which is Alex Garland's adaptation of Jeff VanderMeer's book. And uh, I think no other movie really affected me in the same way that Annihilation did last year. It is more of like an experiential thing than like a traditional narrative. I think Garland is way more interested in how this movie makes you feel. I also saw two thousand one A Space Odyssey for the first time last year, and I talked about that on the podcast. and And this movie sort of reminds me of that in that it's it's sort of going for this really like primal metaphysical connection with an audience instead of necessarily just a, a traditional uh, linear story or anything. And um, the narrative is interesting. It's it's about a group of women who head into what is called the Shimmer, which is this mysterious alien bubble that is slowly like building out and threatening to eat the entire world. Uh, but the all of the little moments, you know, the, the disturbing little things about the like the, the bear that screams with a human voice and these really quietly beautiful moments in there and this really, really incredible climax that takes place in this lighthouse. Um, all of this sort of just combines to be the type of like super confident and really bold Filmmaking that we do not see in modern studio movies and this was released by Paramount in the US And then the studio ended up just like uh, I think brushing it off to Netflix uh, Internationally, so a lot of people still haven't had a ch- the chance to see this one, but um, Man, it, it is a, a powerful moving experience and I think I know this is also on Chris's list And I think Chris wrote like what I consider to be like the definitive piece on Annihilation um, uh, His read about how the movie is about depression, but uh, Chris I want to hear you talk about this one, too.
3: Uh, yeah, uh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I wrote a very, very long. I think it was like a million words. I don't, know. I don't remember the count. It was very long, and yeah, this movie, this is a movie. A lot of people d- either didn't see or didn't. I don't want to say didn't understand, just that they didn't really connect with it, because it's a very challenging movie. It's not your typical modern sci-fi film which you know a lot of modern sci-fi it tries to be escapist it tries to be fun and that's great there's nothing wrong with that but this is very dark um uh, challenging serious sci-fi that's asking that's asking questions that it doesn't actually have answers for and I, i know that drives some people crazy people don't like ambiguity but i personally If it's done right, I I, I love that in a film. I love coming away with questions because it makes me want to talk about the movie more. It makes me want to think about the movie more. And this film does that uh, so well. And I I do wish more people had seen it, but I I feel like this is going to be one of those films like five, ten years from now, people are going to look back and be like, oh, that is like a stone cold masterpiece. And everyone was wrong. Like, I I do feel like that's going to happen with this film eventually.
1: And it's funny you saying that because this is not your top one film of the year. This is your number five, and you thought this is going to be considered a masterpiece in five years.
3: Yeah. And like I said, it was a good year. I, like, yeah. All these movies, I loved so much. Like, if I could do ties, I would probably have some ties on this list where like two films were at number two and so on like that. But that would be silly, so I didn't do that. <laughs>
1: Um, You know, we should talk about now. I was going to do this before, but it's better to do it after the fact of what movies you guys haven't seen this year. You know, caveats to to your list. Um, Let's start with H.T. What what, what films have you yet to see? So like just so people don't send us angry emails being like, why didn't H.T. like this movie?
2: I already have a comment, I think, of someone saying I should include If Beale Street Could Talk. And I wish I could, too, because I have not yet seen it. I'm still very upset that I wasn't able to watch it in time before I finalized my list. Because I feel like it's a movie that I would absolutely connect with and adore. So that's one that I haven't been able to see and that I was sad to miss. Um, Another one is um, Chloe Zhao's The Writer, which is on um, Amazon for rent, which I know, like I have no excuse. I just didn't find the time to watch it. And that's one I've, I've heard a lot of good praise for, and which I feel like I would enjoy as well. So I think those are my top ones. Um, I think, yeah, there's a few I haven't seen. I haven't seen black Klansmen. I haven't seen widows. Um, I haven't seen, um, can you ever forgive me? Which I've heard surprisingly good things about as well. And, um, I haven't either seen uh, this uh, d- this Polish film, uh, Cold War, which I've also heard good things about as well. So those are ones that I wish I could have seen before, but um, I didn't get the chance to, and I'm sorry. Ben, what is your list of shame?
0: Uh, my list of shame includes Burning and Shoplifters, which I know are, are on this list. Uh, the Rider, like she just mentioned. Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, Anime and Apocalypse. I didn't have a chance to see that one. And The Sisters Brothers, which I feel like I, I know Chris talked about earlier in the year. And I feel like I would really, really like that movie. I just did not have a chance to see it. Also, um, Leave No Trace and Support the Girls. I didn't get around oh. to those. But I just saw that this morning that Leave No Trace is now available on Amazon and Support the Girls is on Hulu. So, Um, i've already turned in my list it's locked it's done but i'm gonna have to take the time and and carve that out to check out those movies anyway so uh for anybody out there who's maybe looking to uh to round out their own lists those two are available on streaming right now
1: chris do you know how many movies you have seen this year oh uh
3: not off the top of my head a lot
1: lot. (laughs) many movies was it like Uh, 200 300 uh, I think it was it was close to three hundred, maybe even a little over three hundred. So even a person who has seen three hundred movies in a year, you have a list of shame.
3: Uh yeah. Um, w- w- the films I I wish I'd be able to catch have already been mentioned. Um, one was Shoplifters, which we talked about, and the other was Cold War, which HT mentioned, which I, I hear is really good, and I actually have a screener of it, and I just have not had the chance to get around to watching it I maybe this weekend I will even though my list is already in but uh, those are really the the two big ones I wish I had seen other than that I don't have too many regrets like there are other films this year I haven't seen that I'll eventually catch up on but they're not like uh, I'm not like oh I wish I had seen that in time
1: yeah um do you guys want to do honorable mentions like I feel like doing a top 10 is so hard because you leave so much on you know I guess the cutting room floor um ht what are like some of like you know just quickly films that like from you know 11 to 15 or something like that that didn't qu- just missed your list by that much
2: Um, So my 11 through 15 is Leave No Trace, uh, which uh, is a really quiet drama that I absolutely loved. Uh, Mirai, uh, the anime by Mamoru Hosoda, Happy as Lazaro, which, uh, again, the magical realism theme, Um, and then First Reformed, and lastly, Black Panther,
0: Uh, Black Panther is also on my honorable mentions. Paddington 2 is there. Uh, Destroyer is there. And then uh, two movies that we haven't talked about yet today, Free Solo, which is a documentary about uh, rock climbing uh, the El Capitan uh, wall in Yosemite National Park without any ropes. That movie is insane. Uh, uh, That movie is, I think, in theaters still. And then Lizzie, which is one that I saw at Sundance and really, really liked that stars uh, Chloe Sevigny and um, Kristen Stewart um, about the Lizzie Borden murders. And I'm not sure if that one's available streaming or on Blu-ray or DVD or anything like that. But, uh, but yeah, those are the, the 11 through 15 for me.
3: Uh, My number 11 is burning, which we've talked about. Uh, My number 12 is widows, which is another one of those movies that a lot of people don't like. And uh, I think they're crazy because I love it. Uh, Number 13 is, can you ever forgive me? Which is a, a really good movie that proves Melissa McCarthy should stop working with her husband and work with other people because she's great in other people's movies. Uh number nine is Hereditary and uh oh, no, I'm sorry. Number 14 is Vice and number 15 is uh Suspiria, the Suspiria remake. And uh Vice obviously is another other of those films that a lot of people hated this year. Some people have even called it. The worst movie of the year, but I, it worked for me. I I acknowledge that it's very unsubtle, but I feel like that sort of works with this, this, what the, what the film is trying to be.
1: Okay. I think that brings us to the end of today's episodes or today's episode. Uh, You can find more of all of our work at slash film.com and uh, you can find uh, some of the, the articles we mentioned linked in the show notes. This podcast, Slashland Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at slashland.com. And please go over to our iTunes page. Give us a five-star review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.